The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us today. My name is Ken Swanson. This is the AP Laboratory. It's the mailbag edition kicking off. Your work week, and uh, we take your questions and we answer them on this here episode every week. And here to help me do that is my dear friends. First, find them on Twitter at Chief in Carolina, Maddie Lane. What's good, my friend? Not a lot, Kent. I am a little upset. I thought we were coming off a good week last week. We had some good shows. I throw in a couple jabs at you while you're, you know, taking a vacation. We get BK on. He fills in for you. He does great. I throw in a couple little jabs in there at Hollywood. Next thing I know, we're getting like the biggest star we can with Therese Paler coming on the show. And I get hit up in the DM says, hey, Maddie, you know, if you want, you're not needed for this episode. You can just, you know, hit the showers. I'm like, Wait a second, guys. <laughs> I feel like I've invested in this podcast, but all of a sudden, like I'm told, like, yeah, no, we're getting the big wig on. You're out. You're not famous enough for myself and the Renaissance man, Craig Stout, who I'm going to throw it over to here in a second. But I feel like I got to get this off my chest before we <laughs> try to move on because I was deeply offended and then I was angry and I just simply don't know how to feel. I didn't know if I would be back. Craig, you're going to have to take it away or things are going to get violent in here. I just would like you to know, Maddie, that the only reason I was on that podcast is because I have the Zoom. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is. It was it was a Kent and Therese interview that Craig was sitting in on, so he knew where to put the edit points. That, that's basically I what I also it was. have the Zoom. Well, look, that's true. Look, Maddie, we had, in, in, in any circumstance, if the circumstance was different and we had like an hour with TP, by all means... But it was supposed to be like 15 minutes and Therese was kind enough to basically let us go for like 20, 25, which I mean, I guess we could have got you in there for a few. You could have probably asked him. You you could have asked him. We could have done a game with Therese and you could have done some head math. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff we could have done. That's probably why he came on the show in the first place. He heard rumors going around the Midwest about the best game show host around. So he decided to accept you reaching out to him. But no, then you just cut me out like that. I don't I don't know how I feel right now. No, Maddie. uh, No, actually, you didn't hear this part, but we edited out. He he called you Michael Lane. So I don't really know for sure if he knows who you are. That's Kent is just twisting the knife right now. I mean, Mike probably didn't know who I was because I was told not to show up for the podcast. Yeah, no, pretty much. That's about right. All right, we we got this. Is getting it's getting feisty. I love you, Maddie. I love you too, buddy. No, I'm crying. I know. I can tell. Just just wipe off the tears with your sleeveless shirt. Uh, we've got a lot of great questions today, and we start with the five star reviews. <laughs> Jared64804. I'm sorry. I got I to gotta be professional here. Uh, with the Mahomes deal done, does it increase the chances? Bill O'Brien, the GM, completely drops the ball on the Deshaun Watson negotiations and winds up with a Dak Pres- Prescott mess on his hands. What do you think, Michael? I mean, I think this is entirely plausible. I feel like Deshaun Watson could get the Maddie Lane treatment of the Airhead Pride Nerd Squad podcast <laughs> and just be left on the outside there in Houston. 
and maybe the move is for me to ask race. No, wait. Seriously, though, I do think that it's going to be interesting to see how the Deshaun Watson thing goes with Houston, just for the simple fact that, like, what's his pull to stay there? Like, maybe he has some faith in the team, but Bill O'Brien's his GM and his coach right now. He's going to make it through at least this year in controlling that role. Like, what is Watson's desire to stay there and not test the free agency market? Like, yeah, they can place the tag on him, but he's going to have a lot more power in the situation than Houston's going to. So I definitely think it's going to be something to monitor next year. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him try to get out of there. What I found interesting is right after the Mahomes deal, it was kind of said that that Watson's looking for a three-year deal. I wouldn't want to hitch myself to the Bill O'Brien train either. D. Richardson uh, leaves a five-star review and asks, with the 2020 season looking more cloudy every day, would it make sense for the NFL to bring in another expansion team or two? And if so, what cities are primed for a new team? I don't think you're going to be seeing expansion franchises. There's there's so much, everything's so equal right now. Equal divisions, four teams, or four groups of four teams on both sides, the AFC and the NFC, does not make a lot of sense. You hear London thrown around. Oh, Maddie wants to jump in. What's up? Yeah, no. Have you guys watched backup offensive line play or like any of these <laughs> secondary league <laughs> offensive line plays? Like we don't need to spread out I mean, no. just the offensive line anymore. It is it is not acceptable what is seen well, on the field. That's a good point too. I mean, from a talent perspective, like some of those positions, especially as 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 time is becoming you know less for these guys in the offseason and all that stuff, but. The other thing is the equal equalness of how the divisions and all that stuff are set up. If you, when you hear teams talk about moving to London, it's like the Jaguars moving to London. It's just a team that already exists being moved. Uh, okay, hey guys, I love the podcast. I have a personal question for you, for each of you. What are each of your career goals? Where did you hope to see your careers go? What could life look like when you are done podcasting and or working for Arrowhead Pride? I'm sure Craig has endless possibilities now that he is famous. Keep up the good work. Uh, I assume that this is in relation to all of our, you know, Arrowhead Pride work and not any day jobs or anything like that. So I'll handle it like that. I have written for Arrowhead Pride since 2009. I have gotten zero other possibilities outside of Arrowhead Pride, guys. So let's cool it with all of that. And I don't really want one. Like, I'm very happy writing for Arrowhead Pride. It's the biggest chief site that's out there. And you guys get the work for free. You get this podcast for free. Like, this is a situation where (laughs) you guys don't have to pay to listen to our takes. You don't have to pay to do any of that. Except for the draft, guys. Thanks. Except for the draft guide, yes, I, I get it. But I'm talking about like week to week Chiefs, you know, breaking down the defense, breaking down the offense, Mahomes, everything like that. It's fine. I'm not trying to criticize anybody for going and paying for content or going and writing for someplace that pays for content. But when I got in this in 2009, it wasn't because I had some wealth of knowledge that nobody else had. I don't know any more than anybody else. Uh, there were some questions about the scheme change at that point. People just had some general stuff that they wanted to know. So I did some research and I looked it up. I feel like that's still the same thing that I do now. People have questions about Spagnuolo's defense. So I sit down and I do it. And it's very important to me that I provide that to people for free and that I allow people to kind of take a look at it and that it's fun that I get to do it with these guys. Plus, I'm like 87 years old, so I mean, (laughs) I probably just die doing this thing. For me, I'm taking it a little bit more uh, open world here. I've been trying for six months to convince these two and some of our other friends through DMs to move to New Zealand and start just our (laughs) own compound where we live off the land. We pool together all of our money to run whatever their best internet connection is out to our very remote village so we can continue to write for Airhead Pride. But yeah, I've been trying to get them to move to New Zealand with me for a long time now. There's a little bit of pushback, mostly from the Renaissance man. I don't think he wants to be a leader of this group, <laughs> but like we all know that he is in spirit. Okay. Peek behind the curtain here. Peek behind the curtain. These guys are starting a cult. <laughs> I... And making the cult documentary so you guys can all watch it. Kent (laughs) is the leader of the cult. They keep trying to assign me the cult leader just because I know a lot about cults and I watch a lot of cult documentaries. I'm just making this doc. I'm not running the cult. Things got really weird on this episode. But realistically, (laughs) 
realistically i'm i'm with craig here i love writing for ed pride it's been a lot of fun like i love to continue to keep trying to grow it like the draft guide has been awesome for me just like at a personal level like i think everyone knows i love the college draft i love that whole process like that is where my like i love the chiefs just as much but like my huge passion is just like watching attempting to assess college football players how they're going to translate to the nfl specifically how it's going to work for the chiefs but like i love that process so any more that I get to do with that is always going to be fun. Like we have a lot of plans upcoming for the draft guide, you know, for everything. So hopefully we get to keep working on that. And at the end of the day, I'm just here until I'm allowed to be on the podcast episode that Therese Paylor's invited to. <laughs> See, that's what it is. We're dangling the carrot for Maddie we've to got, keep him. We've got to keep, keep that on. here to keep him here. And uh, we all want him here. Honestly, I, I think I was, I'm the same way as these guys. We're all just really content hanging out and and potting together and writing together like these guys make this more fun i would not be having as much fun doing this if it weren't for maddie and craig so like we're kind of just this you know team of dudes that talk football all the time and we've gotten to do the draft guide now the podcast is really you know you know doing really well now and i mean i there's not much else we could ask for and i could ask for i just want to keep doing this with my friends and i really have no interest in going anywhere else to do it John McCluey asks, with no new word on a Chris Jones extension being mentioned after Pat's new deal, how much better or worse would the defense be if the Chiefs traded Chris and brought in Jadavion Clowney and Snacks Harrison? Love the show and listen to it each week here in Bogota, Colombia. Shout out, John, for that. The defense got better as the year went on last year, and the Chiefs went on to win a Super Bowl. So it's hard to say that they'd be a whole lot better than they were last year. But I think that you could better use some of the money, depending on what the number is that Chris Jones is asking for. And one of the ways to better use that money would be to sign Jadavion Clowney, Snacks Harrison. I think you get a better overall team. You raise the talent level of a couple different positions that way. And yeah, you lose some with Chris Jones, but I think the way the defense is run, that would make the team better on a snap by snap, week by week basis. It's just a matter of, you know, could you get both of them to come in if you were to trade Chris? And what are you getting for trading Chris Jones? Because you can't let, you know, a talent or thing like that get away from you for just nothing. Yeah, that's definitely the case. Uh, They don't have a good pass rushing defensive tackle. And, you know, some people say maybe you don't need that. Maybe you do. Therese put it perfectly. You need two good pass rushers. And so if you're losing Chris, you have to add another good pass rusher. Clowney has been fine. Like, I, I think that he's the Spagnuolo type of pass rusher. You're putting a lot of faith into Alex Okafor, Clowney, you know, uh, Tano Pasigno, Taco Charlton, guys like that to kind of come in and be the guy. But I, I just, it, you're not going to get the same pass rush impact that you do from Chris Jones and Frank Clark together that you would with Snacks Harrison and Jadavian Clowney. So I think you would be lacking there. Your run defense probably improves a little bit. Clowney is an excellent run defender, as is Snacks Harrison. That's, you know, not even taking anything away from anybody else. They're just both excellent run defenders. So the the run defense gets better, but you're going to be playing with the lead more often than not. So that pass rush is really something that you got to pay attention to. Also, real quick, sorry. Shout out to Sonny Shushu, who asked the question about all of our ambitions and our careers and all that stuff. I don't think I made that known. All right, let's go to the uh, Gmail questions. APNerdSquad at gmail.com. If you have already left a five-star review, if you don't have Twitter, feel free to email us at APNerdSquad at gmail.com. What's up, Hollywood, Hop, Young, Regis, and Rant? We all have nicknames now. I've heard you guys mention some NBA facts and analogies during the pod, and I have a question about NFL offenses. Do you guys see any parallels between analytics promoting layups and three-pointers in the NBA and screen passes slash runs and deep shots through play action in the NFL. People talk about how this is turning into a passing league, but it seems like the brightest up-and-coming coaches uh, like McVay and Shanahan both emphasize a strong foundation in the run game in order to create deep shot opportunities. Best, Kyle from L.A. Kyle, you're going to get me in a lot of trouble here with a certain segment of fans out there. Oh, no. But This is why you weren't on with Therese. 
But yes, people have tried to make parallels with analytics from the NBA saying only shoot threes, only ever shoot threes. It's the best way to go about life and only ever throw the ball, never, ever run the ball, don't care about running the ball. Like there's people that have made those parallels between the two sports. And I think generally speaking, those kind of analytics for the NBA and even to some level for Major League Baseball have panned out. I just think that those two sports come down to a lot more one-on-one situations in which you can apply some of these analytics a lot more to. It's a lot less situational. There's a lot less going on on any given play that can actually affect the outcome. And that's why I have a really big pushback in some regards to analytics in the NFL. I think they kind of can't always collect every piece of information that goes into affecting that particular play. So while I do think people draw the parallels and there's certainly plenty of research and work, very well done and written work to make it the case, I just can't buy into that at this point in time. Because like you said, the guys in the NFL that are very successful do have different ways of doing things. You have Kyle Shanahan who centers his entire game around running the football and then uses whatever running back he can sign onto his team that has speed to do so. You have Sean McVay who runs an entirely different offense, but bases it out of a heavier personnel, relies on the run game a little bit. Guys exceed or excel different ways because there's so much different parts of football that go into each and every play. Yeah, uh, the, the idea of taking away the quote unquote mid range jumper in the NFL, you know, Travis Kelsey, uh, you know, on a on a twelve yard route or something like that. Uh, that's the Chiefs' bread and butter. You've watched Andy Reid consistently kill. NFL defenses with that mid-range stuff throughout his career. It's not just all goes. You got Tyree Kill, you got McCole Harmon, you got Sammy Watkins, you've got, you know, this Legion of Zoom, you know, that has the speed to threaten vertically. And the Chiefs have done it without a consistent running game as well. They've lived in that, you know, sort of mid-range jumper area, and they won a Super Bowl with it. Like they were very effective moving the ball by, you know, these more quote-unquote dink and dunk passes, especially under Alex Smith. But even with Patrick Mahomes that can unleash everything at all times, you've got to be able to threaten every level of the field because as a defense, you know, if you're keeping a lid on the top and you're able to keep the run game kind of contained, which most teams were against the Chiefs last year, you've got to be able to hit in that middle area where all the space in the world is. So it is just a a sort of situational thing each team in the NFL does things a little bit differently it's hard to paint with a broad brush in that sort of way yeah I mean the NFL in general is just a very uh, series driven kind of kind of thing where there's eight or nine different plays off the same look for instance and you know I, I think some of that kind of stuff makes it hard for every single play to be what this is kind of almost essentially calling touchdown check down um, or layup or three pointer in the same kind of thing. It's hard to sustainably build an offense in that kind of fashion without the sequences in which you are running plays because there are, I mean the, one of the reasons that Sean McVay is so good for instance, is because they have a lot of variance off of the same formation off the same jet motion and they're able to build and continually build off that. And they've got to show different things at different times to make the screen pass work. So they got to get that jet and that action before they can get into the screenplay. So they got to show the jet. They got to show the run to after the jet and all that stuff. Um, but I, I mean, I, in general, I do agree that slinging the ball out around at a high clip is a really effective pa- It's an effective model for a good offense. But it can't be, it can't be 90-10. I think the I think you know the Chiefs are what sixty five thirty five last year something along those lines. I don't hate that. I don't hate that right there. All right, let's jump to the Twitter questions. And Craig, I'm a little scared here, but someone sl- sent a DM or something. Yes, somebody uh, at Chiefs Channel sent a DM, and he actually sent it the week before. But we wanted to make sure that Kent was on the podcast for this. So, Kent, you're going to answer this first. This is a would you rather. Would you rather, A, go on a pub crawl in Oakland with Frank Clark, B, sumo wrestle Mike Pinnell, or C, square dance with Cam Irving? You know what? I've been listening. So, just a heads up. I've been listening to a best of. uh, I, 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 I made a best of. For the regular season, and I was really hard on Cam Newton or Cam Irving. 
I really was. Uh, I don't regret it, but <laughs> it is time. It's time to extend an olive branch. It's time to let bygones be bygones, and it's time to celebrate the best celebrator on the Chiefs' offense last year. Cam Irving, bring your boots. Let's go, buddy. See, the joke's on you. You can't spring a question on me when every question sprung on me already. So I'm, re- <laughs> I'm ready for this. No, I'm, I'm going on the pub crawl. Like, why would I not go on the pub crawl? I don't see any downside to this. Like, I mean, yes, you know, we might get yelled at or something like that. But, like, I get to hang out with Frank Clark. He's an intimidating-looking enough person. He's very large. He's an NFL player. And I think that, you know, he could protect me as we throw back beers going all through Oakland. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely going on the pub crawl with Frank Clark. I think he was kind of hoping that you were going to go nuclear on Cam Irving stepping on your feet while you were square dancing or something. Yeah, that that's effect. why I definitely wouldn't have picked that one because I'm coming out injured. He was selling me up for some really good jumps. And here's the thing, like, I, I know Rant's getting out there a little bit, probably <laughs> more than I like. Because people are asking me to go rant Swanson on things now. Like, there, someone's asking me to go rant, rant Swanson on Mitch Swartz not being in the top 10 and stuff like that. So, um, I don't know if I've got to change the frequency at which rant comes out or not, but if I don't know. If he was really thinking, the option for sumo wrestling definitely would have been Joey Ivy and not Mike Pinnell. Mm. Dude, I, I heard the Joey Ivy's pass rush this week, too. It was great. Uh, all right, we're going to take a break. And we will be back with more of your Twitter questions right after this. All right, taking questions from Twitter. Real Bird Lawyer, our guy asks, after ESPN left him off their top 10 tackles list, where would you rank Mitch Schwartz relative to the rest of the NFL and which of ESPN's top 10 was the worst selection uh, if you don't know, all the 50 executives and players or something like that rank the top 10 tackles in the NFL. Mitch Schwartz was not on the list. Here's the list. I'll read it real quick. Tyron Smith, Laramie Tunsil, Trent Williams, Ronnie Stanley, Teron Armstead, Lane Johnson, David Bakhtiari, Ryan Ramchek, Trent Brown, Taylor Luan. So I believe it was Jeremy Fowler came out and kind of said the reason that while Mitchell Schwartz was a snub, the reason was just generally speaking, NFL executives, players, whoever was voting on this are valuing traits a little bit more than everything else. And like I can buy that explanation. If you're in a defensive coaching meeting and you're talking about how or like the upcoming offensive tackles, I can understand how most of these guys would strike more fear than Mitchell Schwartz because from an athletic perspective, like the entire like the complete upside, the best plays that Mitchell Schwartz can do probably pales in comparison to these other guys that are elite athletes. The issue is Mitchell Schwartz is so consistent, so technically sound, and does so much homework on the guys that he's facing that he just outperforms just about every single one of these guys year in and year out. So like, I can buy the reasoning for it. I still think it's a bad decision, but I at least buy the reasoning. And I just like want to put that out there because I know Chiefs fans are very upset by this. He's Mitchell Schwartz is definitely in the top tier of offensive tackles in the NFL. And there's a couple bad decisions on this, I think, over Schwartz. But the worst one, Laramie Tunzel, too, is the most wild, obscene, absolute garbage one I have seen on here. How is Laramie Tunzel number two? He's a quality player. He's a good pass blocker. He's a good run blocker. But like, I wouldn't put him as a high tier at just about anything. I'm surprised he made the list at all. But let alone the second best offensive tackle in the league right this moment. They clearly did not watch the playoff game against the Chiefs. They clearly pulled Bill O'Brien. Yeah, yeah, they clearly pulled Bill O'Brien trying to justify that contract. Yeah, Tunsil's a bad decision on this. Trent Brown, Taylor Lewan shouldn't be on here above Mitchell Schwartz. And Trent Williams at number three, despite not playing at all last year. Like, even if you're looking back on his body of work, which is very good, projecting from here on out. I mean, the the Saints tackles on here, I fully agree with, you know, Lane Johnson, Bakhtiari, people like that make sense. Trent Williams hadn't played in a year. How how can you put him on a top 10 list right now if he hadn't played in a year? Mitchell Schwartz should definitely be on this list. I'm saying that he should be in the top five, probably number five on that list. I think he's five or six-ish. I 100% agree on Laramie Tunsil. I'm glad that Matty went there. Um, Ramchek, I think I've got, I've, got, I've got Mitch Schwartz above Ramchek. 
Bakhtiari, Lane Johnson, Taron Armstead, Trent Williams, and Tyron Smith, I think, are probably the five ahead of them. I'm not going to put Ronnie Stanley ahead of them. Trent Brown and Taylor Wan have no business being on this list. I kind of don't like Taylor Luan, similar to how I don't like Jack Conklin, but I don't I like I dislike them differently, but I don't like either of them. Taylor Luan just had had a had an air about him as they were making that run towards towards Kansas City, towards catching that L in Kansas City. Didn't like it. Didn't really wasn't feeling it very much. Rance come see Rant's coming out right now. I gotta slow this thing down. The Clan McLean, talk me off the ledge regarding worries about the NFL season not starting on time or being scrapped altogether. Man, I would love to do that, Keith, but I can't. I really legitimately can't. It's not great right now. And everybody who's a national NFL writer, everybody who you know has somebody in the know is basically kind of framing this as we don't know that things are going to start. The players are trying to cancel the entire preseason. The owners obviously don't want to do that. They still want to play two games, but the players are trying to get rid of the entire preseason. I think that the NFL will have some semblance of a season this year, but I don't know that it's going to be on time. I think we might miss maybe the first four. I don't know if they're going to try and play those at the end and push the playoffs back. All of that remains to be seen. I just feel like the way that this is hurtling towards training camps and preseason and all of that, that it's a little bit rough to expect it because they haven't figured out a lot of the hurdles that they need to to get past starting the season on time. I think one of the good things, I'm not trying to provide too much optimism, but I do think one of the good things that we do know is that the NFL is going to be able to look at how all these other teams and how these other leagues do it and be able to learn from their mistakes, which I do think is interesting. Tyler Felt 55 asks, if re-signing Chris Jones falls through and he holds out or gets traded, how well do you think Colin Saunders and Mike Pinnell will fill that role? I know replacing Jones is near impossible, but are we prepared to move forward without him? In the run game, yes. Mike Pinnell is an outstanding run defender. Colin Saunders was starting to come on a little bit more towards the end of the year, learning the game as it went along. But neither one of those guys is ever going to match him as a pass rusher. Plain and simple. They don't have the attributes to be able to do that. Colin Saunders needs to get better with his snap timing. He is one of the one of the last guys off the ball way too often. And so that puts him behind the eight ball a lot more. And Mike Pinnell just doesn't have that same sort of penetrative ability that Chris Jones has. He's more of a brute strength kind of bull rush type guy. He's very good at it, but that's not the kind of pass rusher that Chris Jones is. That's Chris Jones is just destructive because he gets by guards on the regular because he is so quick and he has that ability to penetrate, get into the backfield. So neither one of those guys is built to play that kind of game. So I don't think that they can replace Jones in the pass rush department. I don't think Steve Spagnuolo's defensive system needs them to replace Chris Jones as a pass rushing defensive tackle in this particular scheme. They will put defensive ends on the interior. You will see, like you saw Emmanuel Agua, Tano Passano. You will see guys like Alex Okafor, Breland Speaks if he makes the roster, Taco Charlton. Like You have all these guys that will kick inside to provide that pass rushing threat. And yeah, there's going to be times on early downs where the interior pass rush may be a little limited. There may be times where you're going to be missing Chris Jones' ability to I mean, rush the passer. That's certainly going to be the case. I just don't think it's necessary for Steve Spagnuolo's system. It never has been in the past when he's had his good defensive teams. They've always got by with blitzing, moving guys all around the defensive line. Like So if you can improve the run defense and get similar production as a pass rusher, for what it's worth, the Chiefs had a better pressure rate and sack rate when Chris Jones was off the field and a way better run defense rate. It's like they were doing better when he was not on the field last year. Now, I don't think that means they were better without him. It's just they can do it, and I think the way the system is set up allows them to do so. I think that some of those statistics are evidenced by that. And I'm not trying, like, I, I, I'm not trying to say it either. It's not that the, the, they're necessarily better without the insane talent of Chris Jones, and there's a lot of other factors the same way we kind of talk about how analytics and statistics don't really tell the entire story. But it's still something to think about in far, as far as if they were to move on without him. And they had a pretty significant sample size without him last year. Remember, he missed four games, including a playoff game. So, you know, I, 
it's not it's not all doom and gloom, and, and like, it's not like the defense is going to fall off a cliff if they lose Chris Jones. And guess what? If they lose Chris Jones, they're still going to be Super Bowl favorites. I, the odds aren't changing, I don't think, a ton. Uh, Chief in Carolina, I've, this guy, I don't know, is longtime listener here. I'd love to get your opinion on some potential progress stoppers, as Bill Parcells calls them. The Chiefs, uh, maybe one of, one of each on both sides of the ball. Thanks, I'll hang up and listen off the air. Hey, uh, big fan of you, Chief in Carolina. Keep writing in. We appreciate your questions, buddy. Um, <laughs> on defense, I'm going to go with Bashad Breland. I like Bashad Breland a lot. I feel like he is a solid Steve Spagnolo corner, but at this point, I'm ready to see Rashad Fenton. I'm ready to see Legarius Sneed. I'm ready to see some of these young guys that they've invested a little bit of, of draft capital in get the reps outside. They've got a little more speed. They've got a little more, you know, ball hawk ability. Bashad Breland is a really smart football player, but I think that that's going to keep him or put him on the field once he gets done with the suspension. If he has to serve it, I think that's going to put him on the field over some of these young guys that I prefer to see. And then on offense, Demarcus Robinson. I I just listen, I like Demarcus Robinson on a scramble drill. But give Byron Pringle and McCole Hardman some more reps. Get them on the field. Let them work it out a little bit. Try and get something out of your young guys. They were obviously ready to move on from Demarcus Robinson. Like that was a situation that they were comfortable with when Robinson's market wasn't as hot as they thought. They went, oh, yeah, no, this is still a good player that serves a good role in this offense, which he does. But it is going to be one of those progress stoppers for a Byron Pringle or McCall Hardman not seeing as many reps as they might have otherwise. Um, if <laughs> I got two, I got two. If David Wilson plays Will, <laughs> then he's a progress stopper for our guy Willie Gay. Um, and if Anthony Sherman makes this football team, we are keeping John Lovett from making it. And I want to see John Lovett out here doing what he does which we don't quite know what that is yet, but let's find out. Bye, Sherm. This question was sent in when I was unsure if I was invited back to the next podcast or not, just to explain <laughs> this real quick. So I, I have a couple here, but like on defense, I'm going to go with Alex Okafor, just because I think Tano was starting to show a lot of progress. And if Okafor stays healthy and keeps him off the field more or reduces like kind of his role a little bit, I think that's going to hurt not only the Chiefs' ability to keep him around, but also like just his market going forward. And I also think you could apply that same thing to Taco Charlton just getting here now. Like these are guys that I would rather see get more reps and Alex Okafor just take them all. And I guess we didn't really explain it. A progress stopper, as Bill Parcells called it, isn't necessarily a bad player. In fact, it's actually a quality player that should be on the field. He's just doing good enough to keep your younger players off the field that maybe has a limited upside. So it's not a bad player. It's just a guy that's good enough that's not getting better. So on defense, I got Alex Okafor. On offense, I got two. Quick one, Dion Yelder. I want to see Kaiser out there. I want to see what we can actually get out of a second tight end because I don't think Deion Yelder's got a huge upside. I don't think Ricky Seals-Jones is the answer whatsoever. So he's one, but the more surprising one, Schwartz and Eric Fisher. Like if they keep Lucas Nyang, if they play good enough and they want to play a couple more years, if they keep Lucas Nyang on the bench for half of his rookie deal, I think, I mean, that's a huge progress stopper and both are great players. Both are probably going to be better than Nyang, but that definitely stops just his progress in the NFL. And Russell, 2018, who will give Drew Locke more of a headache this year? Juan Thornhill or Frank Clark? Listen, have you seen the Denver tackle situation? It's Frank Clark. Frank Clark is going to destroy their offensive line. And we saw what a healthy Frank Clark started to look like there at the end of the year. I think Frank Clark is going to live in the Denver backfield, and I think that Drew Locke is going to be seeing some ghosts of Frank Clark. Juan Thornhill may end up with interceptions, but it's going to be because Frank Clark pressured Drew Locke into throwing a bad pass. All right, Nate, CH32. When will Ohio State and or New Orleans fans run Matt off the internet, and which player will get him in the most? Uh, heat, that is. One player per team, Maddie. So here's the funny thing. I like a couple players on each of these teams. I'm a huge Chris Olave fan. <laughs> I think I had Chauncey Gardner-Johnson as my highest rated safety last year. So like, I like guys on these teams. Just they have some overrated players. I'm going to use this moment to talk about more overrated players for both of these teams rather than who's going to get me in the most <laughs> trouble. 
Wyatt Davis, offensive guard for Ohio State, is already getting a lot of pub. He's like Jonah Jackson last year, only less athletic. He's going to get all this. What? He's going to get all of this pub because he doesn't allow sacks because he just stands and is a big fridge in the middle of the offensive line that can't move and finishes blocks. Like, yeah, that's useful, but he's still a big fridge that can't move that sits in the middle of an offensive line that protects him. And then for New Orleans, I don't know if I have anybody that's particularly overrated here. So I'm going to say the person that's going to get me in the most trouble is going to be Taysom Hill, because if he shows up and is like actually good, maybe that changes the outlook of the team. Like, I don't know. My thing with New Orleans is much more about Drew Brees being overrated than it is the team. I can't wait for Justin Fields to get drafted by New Orleans and Maddie to just be able to solo focus <laughs> all of that energy in one spot. Maddie, I mean, I'm not trying to out you here, but you have some Mike Thomas takes too. Oh, yeah, no. And I mean, I think there's zero chance that Mike Thomas proves to be a downfield threat this year. Drew Brees throwing him the football. So, I mean, like, he can't get me in trouble. He's 100% catching more four yard passes this year, <laughs> unless Jameis rolls in, which then clearly Mike Thomas was made by Jameis, which works for my brand too. Like, it's a win win situation, Kent. <laughs> Mr. Miyagi, can Dorian O'Daniel or Darius Harris? Carve out roles other than on special teams this year. Our linebacker core is still a problem, even with Willie Gay added in. I keep kind of hammering home that Dorian O'Daniel needs a big, 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 massive step forward in order to claim any sort of reps, especially if they've got Willie Gay out there. I think the coverage linebacker role is going to be kind of handed to Willie Gay. So Dorian O'Daniel's got to prove that he should be on the field instead of an Anthony Hitchens as a Mike. And we haven't seen anything at all to believe that he could do that sort of thing. Darius Harris, on the other hand, might end up pushing for maybe some Sam reps by the end of the year. Damian Wilson, I think, is going to get that role once they move Willie Gay over to the Will linebacker role. But Darius Harris, I know they like a lot. So I'd be very curious to see. I think that he is going to be a special teams guy. I think he will probably make the team. I'll just be curious to see if they give him some reps there with Damian Wilson at the end of the year. Chiefs Daily 15. What are each of your predictions on Patrick Mahomes' touchdown to interception ratio next season? Um, let's go. Let's go eight to one. I think he's. I think he's going to continue to just have low interception rates. I really do. I. He doesn't put the ball at risk the same. Like he. Tough throws aren't risks for him. It's remarkable watching that man. I forty touchdowns, five interceptions, eight to one. Not even going to be surprised in the slightest. I'm going to go six to one. And I thought that I was being out there Hater. on a limb there. Six to one is still excellent. Like. I, it just, yeah, like 48 touchdowns and eight interceptions or something like that. Just really kind of drive it home that he he is in that upper echelon of quarterback now and forever in the first three years that he plays in the league, just this elite level. So I'm going six to one. I mean, I, I'm being a lot more, I guess, pessimistic than you guys. I'm going 5.375 to one. I think he's going to have 43 touchdown passes with eight interceptions you know he's gonna run in three more so if we want to count those with the one extra fumble we can adjust it if we want to we don't but yeah i mean i think that's what we're looking at here because the defense is going to be good enough he's not going to have to throw 50 but the interceptions are going to be low how, how many decimal points did you go out to there what's what's the rounding error i i went to i went to the thousands okay okay Derek freeland do you see cornerback Legereus Sneed lining up in the slots on the outside as a third safety or some combination of all three? Hashtag, I feel the need for, or I feel the need, the need for Sneed. Fantastic question. What do you got, Matt? I mean, I honestly don't know yet. I hope they play him on the outside. That's where I thought he looked the best. I think his size and speed combination works the best there, but they've also talked about his versatility. I don't know who the second slot defender is across from Tyron Matthews. Like, I think Legereus Sneed could very much be in the running for some reps there, but I like his just his play on the outside better. But the same can be said for Rashad Finn. And how many like guys do you want to pigeon at hole as outside corners and not slot guys? So I think he would get the shot inside before Fenton would. So that's the only reason that I have any hesitation to say outside. I believe uh, Sam Madison mentioned him as a guy that could potentially be playing inside too. So yeah, you may not be off. You may not be far off there. Captain Denny asks, 
What non-round item, also read as not meant to be thrown, from your house could you throw the furthest? Okay, right now, since I am currently on lockdown and can't leave my house, it would be my phone. So that I wouldn't have to look at my phone and check Twitter. The bird app is crazy right now. So I would just throw that as hard as I could off my property. Um, you know, I, if Kent was here, I would put him as my answer. I think I could launch Kent pretty well. But I, I, I'm pretty round lately, buddy. I, I can throw a discus a little bit. So I have this pizza pan that has a couple grooves in it. I think if I could get my fingers in there, I could get that bad with a good little torque and send it flying. Just the issue is... uh. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not as smart as Craig is. I couldn't tell you how, you know, wind and trajectory and all that's going to come. You know, I'd be afraid that it might curve back a little bit. But if we just go full distance, like path traveled, that bad boy's going pretty far. I mean, you throwing it like Frisbee golf. No, like a discus. Arguably, I mean, it's just like, I, I'm, I'm picturing like you, like, like Captain America. Like, that's how I'm envisioning. Like you could picture a discus thrower. Yeah, sure. Why not? I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm going to say like a, like a D battery. I could probably throw a D battery pretty far. I feel like if he's asking for distance. Not a C, I've, a D. No, what is the D's the bigger, blockier ones, right? Or is that the C's? The, the D's are the bigger, blockier ones. Yeah. See, I think you need a little bit of weight. If you have two, if you have, if it's too light, it's not going to travel. But if it's got a little bit of weight to it, you can sling it. I feel like that's, that's the answer. I see we definitely participate in it. As soon as we finish this, I'm going to go outside and throw my phone into the neighbor's yard. I think, you know what, Craig, if anyone deserves it, it's you, buddy. Andrew Nagel, too. Since we have three person all, since we have the three-person all-star team of the Hollywood hosts, <laughs> what three players are your all-stars for each phase of the game? Offensive, decent. Defense and special teams this season. Maddie do offense. Craig do defense. I'll do special teams. Okay. Okay. Um, offense is a tough one. I think this is kind of tricky. I do think that I'm going to go with Patrick Mahomes. I know I might be stepping out a little bit of a limb, but I do feel <laughs> like the quarterback is pretty important to the way that this team will run. And I think if you have one that's you know a little above average, that's usually going to be the all star for that uh, particular side of the ball. I at least have several people to choose from in here. I'm I'm gonna go Tyron. Tyron Matthew. I, I just think he means too much to what Steve Spagnolo does in the secondary and allows him to kind of play some of the exotic coverage calls and get by with a little less talent in the secondary. Frank Clark is elite. Frank Clark makes the pass rush go, makes the front go, but Tyron Matthew has a bigger overall impact on what Steve Spagnolo can do, so I'm going with him. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and go with Tommy Townsend. I'm calling my shot right here. He's winning the punter job. He's not going to have too much of a job to do, but when he does, he's going to do it with excellent hair and with an excellent, uh, you know, inside the five hit rate. Like he's just going to be on it. Tommy Townsend. All right, JT Penfield. We know Patrick LeVon Mahomes is going to go down as the best quarterback in team history, as well as the true GOAT. But which players on the current roster also have a chance to go down as the best player in team history at their position? I get to go first, which means I get to take the low-hanging fruit here. The Kansas City Chiefs haven't had a lot of great wide receivers in their team history. Tyree Kill, I think, by the end of his contract, will have posted good enough stats, will have posted enough records, and will obviously have the Super Bowls to back him up as one of the greatest wide receivers to have ever played for the Kansas City Chiefs. Right now, that list is small. So I think Tyree Kill, just by the virtue of being in a group without a ton of standouts in it, has the chance to be the head and shoulders pretty easily in this group. I, I, when you said low-hanging fruit, I thought you were going somewhere else. I, mean, I think Tyree Kill's a very good pick, but low-hanging fruit? I'm taking Travis Kelsey. Um, I don't think that Ooh, there's... Low-hanging. I, I was leaving it for I Maddie. I actually would already say he's got that nod, and I know that's going to upset some people who have been here for you know a while, <laughs> but I mean, Tony Gonzalez played a little bit longer here. He was a huge impact for the team. I think that Travis Kelsey has been a better tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs, has done more for the franchise than Tony Gonzalez did during his stint here. And those are some heavy words. I know it's going to probably tilt some people, but just kind of look at just like how much 
better the overall team has been and how much they've relied on Travis Kelsey. It's about the same that Tony Gonzalez got relied upon. Just Travis Kelsey has met, had the team be met with more success. You know, they had other pieces around him. I just think pound for pound, play for play, he's been a better player for the Kansas City Chiefs, more impactful than Tony Gonzalez was. And I think he's still got some time left to keep padding those stats. Yeah, that's Falcons great, Tony Gonzalez, uh, by the way, Maddie. You know, if Chris Jones sticks around, I think he's got a chance to be the greatest defensive tackle in the history of the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't know if there's the list isn't very long. I think Chris Jones has a chance to have that title when it's all said and done. If he winds up signing a big deal. If not, then I the list might be at those two that you just mentioned, and that might be it. JP Phillips asks, does the Matt Moore signing and this crazy preseason mean that Jordan Ta'amu is facing an uphill battle? What are his chances of staying with the team if he ends up on the practice squad? I thought the Chiefs might keep Jordan Tomo as a third quarterback potentially if the se- as the season just because this is going to be a wild season and this is going to be like I mean this is going to be the teams like Matt Moore is probably going to be in quarantine all season is my guess like he they're going to quarantine Matt Moore. Um, I don't I didn't have a ton of hope for Matt or for Jordan Tomo anyway though. Matt Moore signing Chad Henney. Both of them are, are locks to make the roster. Jordan Ta'amu, I think, is a pretty good has a pretty good chance of being a practice squad guy. And I think I I I don't know if I said this on the pod this week or if I said this somewhere else on someone else's show. I think that there's gonna be a lot of stagnancy between practice squad teams. I don't think a lot of people are gonna be going out and poaching people off of other people's practice squads this year. There's going to not be as much information on all these guys. And I think some teams are wanting to try to keep, you know, you know, known commodities within the building. I wouldn't be surprised if Jordan Tom was on the practice squad, but I don't see him making the 90 man roster, especially now. Uh, Beeski 64 rank these current chiefs in order of likelihood of being on the roster in 2022. Maddie, here they are. Eric Fisher, Mitchell Schwartz, Travis Kelsey, Tyron Matthew. If you don't want to rank all four, just take the top one. I don't know. Whatever you want to no, do. No, no, I got all four. This, I'm, I'm going to go backwards order. The least likely to be on the roster, I think, is going to be Eric Fisher. Next is going to be Mitchell Schwartz, and not because the Chiefs won't want him back. I just wonder if he's going to have had enough football by then. Just that's all. Um, Tyron Matthew next. I think that these last two are very close. I think the Chiefs will be a little bit more about bringing Travis Kelsey back to keep the offense humming. You got to surround Patrick Mahomes with every weapon he possibly wants. So if you're going to make sure you get one of these guys back, you make sure it's Travis Kelsey. But Tyron Matthews right on his heels because I think he's that important. I just do wonder, especially if they pay Chris Jones, you're going to start getting real tight with money. And I think Tyron Matthew is going to want a very big deal for as good as he's going to be up until that point. All right. TD MFL add-ons asks, what is McCall Hardman's ceiling, Craig? McCall Hardman's ceiling, I think, is a solid vertical number two threat. I think it was BK that we had on last week that was kind of going through and comparing some of his numbers this past season to some other guys. And the the one that kind of jumped out at me a little bit, and he's going to take some serious refinement on his route running to get here, would be a Tyler Lockett type. You know, a smaller guy good acceleration, good speed. Obviously, McCall Hardman is faster than Tyler Lockett, but that kind of receiver, that ability, I think, is his ceiling. And that's that's an excellent receiver. I mean, I don't mean that as any slight at all. Tyler Lockett is an amazing receiver in the NFL. So I think if McCall Hardman turns into that opposite of Tyreek Hill, that's going to be a crazy good offense. Cass Long asks, outside of Patrick Mahomes, which player would hurt the most to lose for one or two games? I thought this was a fantastic question. I think this is really interesting. Give me Travis Kelsey. I think I said this recently. I think he is more critical to the Chiefs offense than people realize. You know, if you took Deion Yelder and you put Deion Yelder on the field full time, you can't run YISO stuff and expect anything of value to happen on the backside of the formation. Travis Kelsey is such a mismatch and he's such a difficult guy to defend. And it's really hard for defenses to figure out how to treat him. He does tilt the field, not to say Tyreek Hill doesn't, but 
Travis Kelsey does it differently, and te- teams have to account for him different- differently. The Chiefs were still able to have an immense amount of success without Tyree Kill, and that's not trying to slander Tyree Kill in the slightest. It's just saying I really do think Travis Kelsey is what makes this thing um, really special, and he would be the toughest one to replace, especially with a guy like Deion Yelder behind him. I was considering Travis Kelsey too. I do think that Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey – a little bit make each one a little bit more expendable like there's enough weapons that if you lose one of them the other guy's good enough to change the game and they got enough helps so like i can see how you could bridge the gap losing either one but i would agree with kent that kelsey's a little bit over hill for me as well but i'm gonna go tyron matthew because i don't know who plays in the slot if they lose him i talked about it earlier with the legerious steed question who plays in the slot if you lose tyron matthew who's making all these calls for them and the back of the defense, who is kind of that vocal leader on the field, the guy getting everybody set up, bringing that energy. Like not only is he an all pro defensive player of the year level player, but they don't have anybody to step into that role. If they lose him, they have nobody. They have all big physical outside corners. I don't even have a guess who would slide down into his role. If he were to be injured. I'm going to go with an incredibly dark horse here. Cause I was going to say Tyron Matthew as well. Anthony Hitchens. They don't have another Mike on this roster. They don't. It's plain and simple. Anthony Hitchens, for everything that we say about him post-snap, does everything for this front pre-snap. So they don't have a guy that can step in and do that. We saw what it was last year against Houston in the first game with Ben Neiman in that role. It was bad. It was really bad and sloppy and messy, and nobody knew what they were doing. Maybe another year Ben Neiman gets a, you know, a couple things under his belt, but I don't view him as a Mike, especially the way that Steve Spagnuolo plays him. So Anthony Hitchens is kind of irreplaceable right now with the guys that they have on their roster. I, Craig, there's, uh, this is not a joke. I had him in consideration, but I also... Cause, because of specifically the Houston game. Like, s- literally because of that. But I was all at the same time, I was like... I want the Chiefs to move on from Anthony Hitchens as quickly as possible. Listen, I do to I wish that they would get a more dynamic player in that spot. They don't have that on Or their a roster. guy that can communicate for two million dollars instead of twelve. Well, my only pushback would be what about Damian Wilson? A second year in the system. Like and I we have no idea how he would operate in that role. Like we simply don't know. It's likely he's not the same level of communicator as Anthony Hitchens is, but the team seems to really like him. Like not the players, but the coaches. Everybody speaks super highly of him. They say he's got great work ethic. Everybody likes him. Maybe there's an outside chance with more time in the system. He's already bounced around on either outside spot. It's not too far-fetched to think he's maybe got some reps, you know, learned a little bit on the inside. And I'm looking, I think Anthony Hitchens is a low-key sleep, good sleeper pick, as we saw last year. Just Damian Wilson's one guy that I would be a little interested to see what he would look like attempting to call the defense for a little while. I think he's the only guy. Like, I really do think he's the only guy. You can't trust Willie Gay to do that yet. Maybe in the future, but you can't trust him to do that yet. I, I wouldn't mind seeing Wilson there. I would certainly like to see him there over Neiman. So I, but still, they don't have a guy right now. No, I understand where you went. I understand why you went there, Craig. 100% understand why you went there. That's going to do it for the Mailbag Edition. Thank you guys so much for listening. Check us back on Wednesday. I believe we have an AP Editor show tomorrow coming as well. We'll catch you up. Oh, guys, it feels so good to be back.